Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Dave. I am originally from New Jersey, uh, which is uh, why I have such a charm charming personality. So you have to excuse some discrepancies along the way. Uh, more uh, to, the, to the recent uh, present, uh, I am attending or a member at Redemption Church in Brookfield. Uh, for those of you who know Redemption Church, uh, you guys have actually been a huge support. Uh, it's been a church plan over about uh, four years. You guys were a huge part of supporting and helping getting that going. Uh, so we thank you uh, for all your prayers and support. More personally, I would like to thank Dan. Uh, Dan didn't know I was going to say this, but he, kind of, he came up here and he kind of jabbed me, and now I'm going to pay him back by saying something nice about him. Dan, your uh, example as an older brother in Christ and certainly in ministry has meant the world to me. Your gentleness and your humility and your love for God's word and your ability to communicate it in a meaningful way is inspiring. So thank you, Dan. Dan also did the favor of setting me up by... By saying, oh, Simeon Trust, and it's going to be great. Well, hopefully it's great. I've never actually heard him preach. <laughs> Just always love when the guy sets up the bar that high. And if I'm honest with you, this week was a grind. It, it was a grind. Now, don't let that be a cause for panic. It's not that I don't have anything prepared. But this week was just one of those weeks. It, it was one of those weeks where... I was just running from one thing to the next. There seemed to be little free time, little fun, little enjoyment. It was just work and responsibilities and work and responsibilities. And I'm sure most of you have had those weeks. Perhaps you just had that week. Perhaps you're looking at that week coming up where you know it's just going to be a grind. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of a grinding week, I often find myself looking forward to something in the future. In fact, I've been looking forward to this afternoon. That's what was keeping me going in the midst of grinding this week. Because this afternoon, as some of you know, is NFL playoffs. And for me, that will be the apex of this week. I will get together with some good friends and hopefully watch some good games. But on top of all that, we'll be watching this, this uh, spectrum of, of great football at Points East Pub. Now, if you have not been to Points East Pub, they are objectively the best wings, not just in Milwaukee, not just in Wisconsin, but in the world. That is not a biased opinion. That is just fact. And so I've been looking forward, as I grinded through this week, to getting to sit down, to relax, and enjoy some football and some wings. I don't have to convince any of you of this, but faith in this life is a grind. It requires all of who we are, and it's not always easy. The journey of faith is ongoing. It's this lifelong process of following Jesus. And it is very rich. 
and very meaningful, but it is not very easy. So what is it that keeps you going as you try to grind out this life of faith? What is it that you look forward to that makes this grind worth it? What will keep you focused? What will keep you energized? What will keep you from being compromised in following Jesus? Perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, like, I'm not actually even on this journey. I don't consider myself a Christian. Well, the question for you becomes, life is a grind in and of itself. What makes it worth it? I'd like to title my sermon this morning, Grind It Out. Because in one way or another, whether it's this week, next week, this month, at some point in all of our lives, we're going to be grinding out this faith. As we look to our passage this morning, it's important to note who these people are that Peter is writing to. In the introduction in verse 1, Peter calls them exiles. They're, they're people that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, people that have come to faith in Jesus and now find themselves to be strangers in a strange land. They're not exactly welcomed where they are. They're, they're odd to everybody around them. They believe weird things. They don't go with the flow and do as we do. And as a result of that, they're ostracized. They're persecuted. They're suffering. They're experiencing trials. They're mocked. And Peter is writing them in order to encourage them, in order to help them grind it out in their journey of faith which is actually really difficult. He's writing them so that they won't be distracted, that they won't be discouraged, but that they'll see this journey to the end. You could sum it up, the entire letter of Peter's final charge to them of stand firm. In a majority of Peter's letter, it's going to focus on this, this practical wisdom, this how to stand firm in the midst of all these different situations. It's going to be instructions. But before he gets to any of that, the passage we have here this morning in the introduction of his letter, he is going to point his readers and us to a foundational truth that will be necessary for us to hold on to if we have any chance of grinding it out. If I could boil his message in, in our passage this morning down to one sentence, here it is. Hope in your future salvation to remain faithful in your present situation. Hope in your future salvation to remain faithful in your present situation. It's only when we have this confidence in what is to come that will continue to have this determination in what is now. Our, our passage breaks down pretty simply this morning. We're going to see a future hope, present rejoicing, and past assurance. Look at a future hope with me in verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what is this future hope that we have? Broadly speaking, it's salvation. Now, we often, in our, in our normal lives, talk about being saved as this past thing, which it is, or we talk about it as this present reality, which it also is. Sometimes we neglect that our salvation, though, is also future. There is much of what lies ahead for us in terms of our salvation. There is plenty of, of what we will experience that we just haven't yet in regards to salvation. And this is how Peter mostly talks about salvation in his letter. Not a present reality, but a future promise. Something that we will one day have, but, not, but we don't have it just yet. And you see it even in this passage that this salvation is future. Look at verse 5, for our salvation to be revealed in the last time. Verse 7, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning his second coming. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation is the end game. It is the future hope. That day when Christ will come again and all of us who are in him will live with him, being raised to eternal life. But I want us to notice in verse 4 that Peter gives some specificity to what this salvation is. He, he calls it this inheritance. Now, inheritance carries with it a lot of imagery from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the inheritance was the promised land. The people of God, he brings them out of Exodus, out of, or out of Egypt in the Exodus, and as they are going towards the new land, the promised land, God keeps telling them that it is their inheritance, this land. It is the promise that he has for them. And now this inheritance, this land, is going to be pretty amazing. It's going to be filled with milk and honey. It's going to have prosperity and security. This land is going to be so much better than anything they experienced in Egypt, so much better than what they are experiencing in the wilderness. And this land is going to be where God builds his house and dwells with his people. There will be this intimacy and this connection between the people and their God. And more so, this land, because God is its ruler, will be filled with righteousness, with justice. The land will be good in every way conceivable. That's what the inheritance that God had for his people in the Old Testament was. I imagine if you are an Israelite wandering in that desert for 40 years, there were days where you thought long about what it would be like when you got that inheritance. I imagine there were nights where you sat around the fire after a long day and you looked up at the stars, and you just dreamt of what life would be like, what goodness would come 
once we make it to our inheritance. And I'm sure during those grueling hours of hiking under that hot sun, that the longing for home would just intensify. Makes sense that Peter brings in this imagery, that he uses this language of inheritance, speaking to the church, speaking to you, speaking to me. This is not our home. There is something that awaits us that is much better, a home that actually is one of peace and security and righteousness. And Peter is pointing our eyes to this future hope that we might long for it. To that end, Peter describes this inheritance with those three words. I'm sure you saw them. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. The, the home that awaits us, it, it, it's, it's going to be permanent. I uh, recently moved into a new place with a roommate, and the other day, for the first time, I noticed that the shelf in our kitchen is terribly crooked. It is going to fall down 100%. So many of our homes, right? It's just one problem after another. Things just are continually falling apart. It's true of our physical homes. It's true of our lives as well. Things are just continually falling apart. And we repair them and we build them back up as best we can. But we know that thing or something else will soon deteriorate with it. The home that awaits you and me is something that is permanent. There's great comfort to be found in something that is permanent. There's great hope to be had knowing that not only will it be so much better than we can possibly imagine, but that future salvation, once we are there, is not going anywhere. This future salvation, this hope that we have, this longing that is in us for our permanent, perfect home, this is something that we are to encourage one another with. That there is something much better that awaits us. As I was reflecting on this this week, at least for myself, I don't want to speak for all of you, I realize that I don't do a very good job of longing. I don't know why that is. Perhaps it's just the relative prosperity that we experience in our country and in our time today. There's plenty of comfort to be had here. And our lives are filled with busyness, so perhaps that just keeps our attention on the here and now. Maybe it's just our culture. that We kind of avoid death. We don't talk about it. We don't really think about it too much. And so... Longing for what comes next is just not on the front of our minds. I know that my hope is often more fixated on temporal things. 
my hope is usually fixated on getting to watch a football game. My hope is usually fixated on this situation working out a certain way. Now, that's not to say that hoping for things in this life is bad. It's good to desire the good things that the Lord has for us in this world. The problem becomes when they supersede the longing for our real home. When they distort our reality of what God actually has for us. And even the hopes that we have in this world, even the good ones, and even the ones that are fulfilled, just like that shelf, eventually they come down. So if you're anything like me, if you're asked, do you have this hope in this future home, you would say yes. But then if there was the follow-up question of like, well, when was the last time you actually like thought about it? When was the last time you used that future hope to encourage another brother or sister in Christ? When was the last time you just laid, at laid on your bed, looked up at your ceiling, and dreamt? about this future home that awaits. Remember, Peter is pointing to this hope, this foundational truth, because it will be necessary for the people of God if they are to grind it out on this long road of faith. For us, we must cultivate We must cultivate a mindset and a spirit of hope if we are to continue on this journey faithfully. If we try to live the Christian life without hope, it would essentially be going up to the plate at a softball game without an approved bat-hound bat. <laughs> You're just not going to get very far. Cultivate hope. Because this is not your home. And there's something that is much, much better that awaits. There will be a day when God wipes away every tear from every eye. There will be a day where the presence of sin, which so easily entangles us, which distorts our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, will be completely eradicated. There will be a day where guilt and shame, and fear, and depression, and anxiety, and sickness, and addiction plagues us no more. There will be a day where this land and all the land in the new heavens and in the new earth are ones of freedom and of justice. There will be a day where death no longer has any power. And this new heavens and this new earth, I'm sure, are going to be even more beautiful than you and I can possibly imagine. Sounds almost too good to be true. So then you start to ask yourself, well, what guarantee can we actually have about this future hope? Is it just like, well, I, I, I kind of hope it's true, but who really knows? In the first few verses, notice how much Peter is pointing to God's activity. He is the one who caused us to be born again to a living hope, verse 3. Verse 4, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation. 
this hope is not wishful thinking because this hope is not determined by our action. This hope is determined by what God has done and what he will do. Uh, if I could define Christian hope, it's this absolute confidence and anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises. That's why Peter's pointing to God's action. It's so that you can be confident and anticipate what God will do. And God has shown us that he is going to be faithful to his promise primarily in the person of Christ, primarily in his death. But notice that Peter here points to Christ's resurrection. The reason that we can be confident, the reason that we can anticipate this future hope actually coming true, well, just look to the resurrection. Jesus has raised from the dead. God has already shown you what he will do. He has already promised it and guaranteed it. And the way that we can be confident of it is he has already shown us in Christ. The resurrection is the confidence that you and I need that everything else that God has said he will do, the future salvation that God said he would bring, he will indeed bring to us. Hope in your future salvation. But how does that hope in our future salvation, how does that actually play out in our present reality? Verses 6 through 9, we move towards this present rejoicing. Look again at it with me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, it seems that two things are going to be present. Rejoicing and trials. I don't know about you, but that seems somewhat contradictory to me. Those two things seem to be at odds with each other. So as we try to untangle this, first let's think of what rejoicing is. Rejoicing here is the result of having our hope in that future salvation. Rejoicing is what comes when we have this certainty. This certainty is to produce this melody in our hearts. As for the trials, well, the trials can really be anything that cause you to perhaps act, live, or altogether forsake following Christ. It could be the, the pain and shame that comes with being ostracized, mocked, persecuted for your faith in Christ. It, it can be simply the, the natural pains of life. The grief that we experience, the anxiety, financial hardship. And certainly trial can be the sin that we deal with. It can be the sin that entices us to walk away from Jesus. Some of these trials are going to be big and obvious. Some of them are small and subtle. Some of these trials are going to last seasons and lifetimes. And some of these trials will happen to you in a moment. 
I love that Peter here doesn't dismiss the hardship of them. Did you pick up on the word that he used there? Grieved? He's acknowledging that there is true hardship and pain that comes in this world. He's acknowledging that there's true hardship and pain in trying to remain faithful to Christ in living in this world. He doesn't tell them, look, what do you have to complain about? You got it better than most. He doesn't say to them, like, look, you're just a sinner anyway who is saved by grace, so what right do you have to even mention your pain? He very much acknowledges it. Please hear this. God does not look at your pain. God does not look at your hardship. God does not look at the trials that you are going through and simply dismiss it. He doesn't diminish it. He acknowledges that is hard, that does hurt, that is not the way I intended life to be. But Peter, while acknowledging the pain, also gives us some perspective on these trials. In light of the hope that we have, in light of the salvation to come, keep these two things in mind. First, Present trials may seem long, but they do have an end. Notice what he says, now for a little while. For a little while. Some of you have been going through things that do not seem like a little while. That phrase actually might seem to upset you. Because, Lord, if it was a little while, it would have been done ten years ago. I feel that, and yet we do have to acknowledge that it will come to an end. And there will be an eternity which we experience without that pain. Know that your pain one day will cease. Your hardship, your trial one day will come to an end. It might seem long, but keep it in perspective. It's a little while. Second thing that will help our perspective. These trials have a purpose. Look at verse 7 again. So that, so that is always giving us a purpose, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose of our trials serve to prove the authenticity of our faith. They're opportunities day after day, week after week, year after year, to show our faith. Not simply to state what our faith is, but to display it, to prove it, to let it be refined. Now, I'm sure most of you, like me, think like, wouldn't it just be easier not to have to prove it and not do all these trials? So what's the advantage, what's the benefit of having a proven faith? Well, it gives us a great confidence that the work that the Lord, we think, is doing in us, he's actually doing in us. 
it, it gives us a great confidence that the faith we claim to have, we actually do have. It also allows us to see where we need to grow. It allows us to see where perhaps our faith is not actually as strong as we would like to say it is. It keeps us from being deceived and thinking that we're somewhere or someone that we're actually not. And if going through that trial, if we have that moment where we realize our eyes are open to, huh, my faith actually is either not really there or not as strong as I thought it was, guess what that is? A wonderful invitation, a graceful invitation for us to come back into that path of following Jesus. Let's be honest, it's only through challenges that we grow. This is a principle that's true in life all over. All the way from little league to professional sports, if you're not being challenged, you're not going to be growing. I don't know if you noticed the value that Peter seems to place on your faith here. He says it's more precious than gold. I don't know if we view our faith that way, if we view our souls that way. God places the utmost value on your faith. So much so that he wants it to be refined, to be beautiful, to, be re- remove, to remove anything that would hamper it from being completed. God has such a desire for our faith to be refined that he will allow us to go through the test. Again, this perspective does not remove the pain and hardships of life, but it does give it purpose. It gives us a reason to continue grinding it out. So my question for you this morning is simply this. How's your faith holding up in the fire? Every single one of us is going through something in some way in which our faith is being tested. There's no doubt about it. It could be your job, family life, sin that you are struggling with. Let me ask you this. Are you able to identify where your faith is currently being tested and what the Lord is calling you into? in remaining faithful in the present. Don't be passive about the test that we are going through. Eagerly remain faithful and grind it out. That might seem like a drag to you, but we are not as people of hope, to go around as people that are beaten down, that have an attitude of defeat. Again, it started with, in this you rejoice. If you'll notice, Peter comes back to this idea of rejoicing in verse 8. 
You believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That phrase, rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. How am I supposed to rejoice if it's inexpressible? And rejoice with a joy, that just seems redundant. It's almost as if Peter's uh, hand can't keep up with his mind. It's this joy, this rejoicing that is overwhelming Peter and is to overwhelm us, even in the midst of trial. As we remember the salvation that awaits. Too often we think that to have joy means to have an absence of hardship. Perhaps that's why we have such a hard time finding joy. Joy and hardship, they seem like they are opposites, that they are at odds. And perhaps they are. That does not mean that both cannot be present. Because guess what? Until that future salvation comes, you will have hardships. The question is, will you have a hope that produces joy in them? And as you rejoice in that hope, in that future salvation, it will give you what you need to endure, to remain faithful in the present. Just in case, though, just in case that pain, that suffering, that trial, just in case that causes you to think what on earth is going on and where on earth is God, Peter shuts it down with these last three verses of this past assurance that we can look to. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that, they have now, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Did you catch the, the words, the concept, the phrase that was repeated four times there? It's you or yours. The grace that was to be yours. They were serving not themselves but you. And these things that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you. You've been on God's mind for a while. Way back, before Jesus came, as he was working through the prophets to, to indicate to them the salvation that he would accomplish through his son's suffering and resurrection. All of that, God had with you in mind. All of that, God had in mind, even knowing that in this lifetime, for a little while, you would experience hardship. But don't let that hardship make you think that God doesn't know what's going on and he hasn't had a plan all along. He's orchestrated this salvation for a long time for us. And the whole thing, this whole web that God has woven in order to bring salvation to people, it's so spectacular 
that even the angels just look in astonishment over it. So why bring this up? Why does Peter bring up this, this idea of salvation and God's planning of it from way back when until now and how, how God moved people to get this gospel into your ears and down into your heart? Why does Peter bring this up? I think it's for this simple reason. In the midst of trial, don't forget that God cares for you. Don't fall for the trap that God is unconcerned about you. Don't fall for the traps of self-pity that completely eradicates any joy. Don't fall for the trap that God is angry with you simply because you are suffering. Don't fall for the trap of what reason do I have to continue to live faithfully given the hardship I am experiencing. Don't fall for the trap. Because God has been planning this redemption in eternity past with you in mind. So even in the midst of hardships, you can be reassured that God cares and the future salvation he has promised he will bring to fruition. If this, you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ and you've been going through trials and you've been able to keep your head up, praise the Lord. Keep doing it. Keep enduring. Let your life continue to be an example to the rest of us of what it looks like to be faithful and remain faithful in the midst of suffering. Let your hope and your joy not just be internal, but external, so that it rubs off on the rest of us curmudgeons. If you are here this morning, and you feel like your hardship actually has overtaken your faith, that whatever trial you are presently facing has gotten the best of you, and it's caused you to be distracted or forsake that road that Christ has called you to. Don't let this good crisis go to waste. Use that as an opportunity to examine yourself. Use it as an opportunity to listen to where God is trying to refine your faith so that you are not self-deceived and so that you make it to the end. If you're here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you're not a follower of him, this is the invitation that Christ has died for your sins and rose again as a promise and guarantee of a future salvation that awaits. Myself, Dan, whoever you came with would love to talk to you about that. Feel free to come up to us after the service. We have a great hope in the future. We are to hold on to it if we were to remain faithful in the present. The other week I was actually uh, flying home to New Jersey. Uh, it was my mom's birthday. and She would not want me to share what number it was, so I won't. 
For whatever reason, I uh, found myself very anxious the, the morning I was flying out. I'm not really sure why. I'd packed the night before. I had my checklist and everything was crossed off it. It wasn't a super early flight, but for whatever reason, I was just feeling anxious. Couldn't figure it out. Anyway, I called an Uber, got picked up, got dropped off at the airport. As soon as I walked out of that Uber and it drove off, it dawned on me. I, I had my suitcase, I had everything packed. I had my phone that had my boarding pass on it. I even had remembered my phone charger. What I had forgotten was my wallet. And in my wallet is my ID. Now, I don't know if you've flown recently, but the TSA does not allow you to get on a plane if you can't prove who you are. Needless to say, I forgot the most basic, fundamental thing that I need in order to make it home. The hope of our future salvation, it is basic, it is foundational, is fundamental. It is not the only thing we need, but it is core to what we will need if we are to remain faithful. The journey we're on, it's a grind. Don't do it without hope. Don't do it without rejoicing in the salvation that awaits you. Don't try and make it without the most basic thing that you need in this journey of faith, hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how you use it to encourage us, to build us. Father, we uh, confess that too often we don't hold this hope at the front of our mind. We, we know it's somewhere down there, but... It's not always something that we come back to and rely on to live a faithful life enduring the present. So, Lord, we pray that you make us individuals and collectively a church that is rooted in your hope. Lord, we pray that as we go through present trials that you will keep us faithful, that you will use them to reveal our faith its genuineness, and its need for refinement. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you, who do not have this hope. We pray that you open their eyes. We pray that their heart is softened, that they might find their hope and their joy in you, their Savior. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.